The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 24 of Marriage and Divorce, Paragraphs 1 to 3. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. Neither is it lawful for any man to have more than one wife, nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. Paragraph 2. Marriage was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife for the increase of mankind with a legitimate issue, and of the church with a holy seed, and for preventing of uncleanness. Paragraph 3. It is lawful for all sorts of people to marry who are able with judgment to give their consent. Yet it is the duty of Christians to marry only in the Lord, and therefore such as profess the true reformed religion should not marry with infidels, papists, or other idolaters. Neither should such as are godly be unequally yoked by marrying with such that are notoriously wicked in their life or maintain damnable heresies. Several years ago in the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, we discussed and debated the issue of marriage, particularly around the thorny subject of whether or not in this day and age Can two men, or indeed two women, legally marry? The debate saw us as a denomination breaking ties with the Church of Scotland, who have proceeded down a path where they argue and believe that indeed two men, or two women, can legally marry. As a denomination, we made it clear once more that we believe marriage to be between one man and one woman. The debate was at times heated, and certainly the headlines in the days to come made it absolutely abundantly clear that in the eyes of the world we had made the wrong decision. There's much that could be said about that debate several years ago, but from my own perspective, I thought the debate was an unnecessary tragedy. What do I mean by that? It's certainly not that I disagree with the decision. I believe the relationship with the Church of Scotland should have been broken many, many years ago. Nor do I believe that we need to revisit and overturn what is called the traditional view of marriage. I certainly do not believe that. I hold to what I think is the biblical, historical view of marriage. But for me the debate was an unnecessary tragedy because our statement of faith clearly articulates what we as Reformed Christians are supposed to believe about marriage. Whether you are a Presbyterian minister or another elder within the PCI, 
It should never have needed to be discussed or debated at General Assembly what we hold to when it comes to marriage. The scriptures are abundantly clear that marriage is to be between one man and one woman. And this clear teaching of scripture is also clearly articulated in chapter 24 of our Westminster Confession. If we needed to discuss it or to debate it, then it seemed clear to me that we had forgotten what it was that we once confessed. Marriage today is the topic of discussion in chapter 24, and paragraph 1 of chapter 24 begins with that clear statement, marriage is to be between one man and one woman. We see this in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2 is directly referenced by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 19 and verses 5 and 6. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so the Westminster Divines clearly teach what the bounds of Christian marriage is. It is between one man and one woman. It is not lawful for any man, they write, to have more than one wife, nor indeed can any woman have more than one husband. And therefore we are against the practice of one man having multiple wives, or indeed one woman having multiple husbands. This is called polygamy. And there are some false religions and some cults who hold to such a thing, but the Christian church, borrowing from the clear teaching of Scripture, believes firmly that marriage rightly celebrated is only between one man and one woman. There is no room for polygamy in the one flesh description of marriage. How can a man leave his father and mother and cling to his wife becoming one flesh but at the same time becoming one flesh with another woman. It doesn't work. And so the clear historical orthodox teaching around marriage doesn't need to be debated at General Assembly or anywhere else because the scriptures are clear, as is the confession of our faith, marriage is to be between one man and one woman. And so in 2021, if your relationship does not match this one, then whatever it is that you've got going on between you and your partner, it is not marriage. If you are married to two women, we do not recognise such a union, nor do we recognise when a man takes another man to be his husband. Marriage, once more for clarity's sake, is only considered true in the scriptures when it is between one man and one woman. As we look at paragraph 2, we see what marriage is for. The divines begin by stating that marriage was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife. And we see this in Genesis 2 and verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now immediately we need to stop because often such verses are pointed to and we are told that all of you Christian men are misogynists. We must smash the patriarchy. We must bring a revolution to such understanding. But the Westminster Divines look at this verse and they make it clear that marriage is ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife. 
There is no room for abuse here. There is no room for a husband to stamp his feet and to shake his fist and demand that his wife jumps and she follows. Marriage is ordained so that husband and wife can be a good help to one another. Now certainly there will be different rules in the marriage, but there again is absolutely no room for one to smash the other one into oblivion. Marriage is given so that we may help one another, so that we may walk through life together, bringing comfort and support and mutual help when it is required. But the divines continue by telling us that marriage is also the place where children are to be born and raised. They state that marriage is for the increase of mankind with a legitimate issue and of the church with a holy seed. And so marriage and marriage alone is the place where we enjoy the gift of physical intimacy with husband and wife together. And sometimes the Lord blesses such intimacy with a child. Such a child is for the increase of mankind as we go forward and multiply upon this earth. But it is also to give to the church a holy seed. We read in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And so this verse in Malachi is clear. God desires our children to be godly. And so marriage is the place where the husband and wife helps one another. But it is also the place where we enjoy physical intimacy. And it is also the place where, by the grace of God, we are blessed with children. When such children come, we are to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We are to teach them the doctrines of our holy religion. We are to pray with and for our children. We are to point them always to the Lord God Almighty. We are to take them to church. We are to sing alongside one another. We are to discuss the sermon together. We are to pray as a family in church and sing God's praises. The Lord desires in marriage the increase of mankind and to the church a holy seed. And also, as the divines continue in paragraph two, the third use for marriage is for the prevention of uncleanness. We see in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 2 and verse 9, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so marriage is given once more as a gift from God, as the right and proper setting for sexual intimacy. If we enjoy the gift of sex outside the bounds of marriage, it doesn't matter how we enjoy it or who we enjoy it with. It is sin. The gift of sex is for the marriage bed. And it is as a prevention to sin so that we may not fall into sexual immorality and we may not burn with passion. And so marriage is only recognised in the scriptures when it is between one man and one woman. And marriage has a threefold purpose. For the mutual help of husband and wife, for the increase of humanity and indeed the church, and for the prevention of sin. And so today we have stated clearly what marriage is, and indeed what marriage is for. As we enter into paragraph 3 now, we see who can be married. 
the divines begin with a clear statement that it is lawful for all sorts of people to marry. Marriage is not just for Christians, but marriage is a gift from God to all humanity. And therefore, it is lawful for all sorts of people, both inside or outside the church, for one man and one woman to be married. However, they add a certain caveat here. They say it is lawful for all sorts of people to marry who are able with judgment to give their consent. And so marriage should not be entered into lightly. And we should not allow people to be used and abused who cannot, with good judgment, give their consent to being married. Marriage is lawful for all sorts of people who can use their own judgment to give their consent to such a marriage. We see in certain places in the world children being given over into marriage. The divines would rule such a thing out. Children are not, with good judgment, able to give their consent. Nor is someone with diminished mental capabilities, for example, someone suffering from Alzheimer's. Such a person cannot, with good judgment, give their consent to be married. Or indeed, such a thing as a forced marriage is ruled out here. No one should be pushed into a marriage or have their arm twisted up their back or be told that they must marry a certain individual. Everyone who enters into a marriage must be able to, with good judgment, give their consent to such a union. It is as the Apostle writes in Hebrews 13 and verse 4, Let marriage be held in honour among all. Therefore we are to take it seriously and not enter into it lightly or with sinful intentions. So marriage rightly celebrated is only between one man and one woman. And it was for help, for godly children and as a prevention of sin. And indeed marriage is to be held in honour among all. All sorts of people can marry who are able, with good judgment, to give their consent to such a union. However, when it comes to the Christian, the Christian is to make sure that they marry only in the Lord. This, today, is a hugely controversial statement, and there have been many moments in my life where I have heard friends and colleagues tell me about the trouble that has been caused in their congregation when they have refused to carry out such a marriage between a Christian and a non-Christian. It is not a harsh thing to tell someone no in such a case. Indeed, it is a loving thing. The scriptures are abundantly clear, as is our Westminster Confession, that it is the duty of a Christian to marry only in the Lord. The Apostle Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And here Paul strikes right to the heart of the issue. Why should a Christian not marry a non-believer? Well, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? I certainly understand that you may love that man or love that woman, but if they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, then the most important part of your life, your faith, is not shared with the person who you have promised before God to spend the rest of your life with. It gets even more difficult later on if the family is blessed with children. Who goes to church? Usually it's mummy and the kids. And daddy, who does not know Christ, stays at home. Later on in life, when the children have grown up a little bit, they don't want to go to church either. And why not? Well, mummy doesn't go to church, or daddy doesn't go to church, therefore, why should I? It is the duty of Christians to marry only in the Lord. It is the duty of Christians to marry other Christians. And this sounds incredibly sectarian in this day and age, 
But this teaching is from the Lord, and someone who wishes to be married should very firmly guard their heart and set their sights on meeting someone who is a believer. I fully understand in this day and age that indeed many Christian men in Northern Ireland are absolute clampets, and they do not deserve at times the love of a good Christian woman. But ladies, please forgive us. Do not settle for second best when perhaps you have been let down by the Christians within the church. Do not settle for second best when the offer comes from someone who does not know Christ. In the long run, it will be to your spiritual disadvantage if you marry someone outside the faith. And sometimes I will hear the argument that if I marry my unbelieving wife, then perhaps I can see her converted. Perhaps she will come to church with me. Perhaps he will listen to me when I share the scriptures. Perhaps we will grow together into Christianity. By God's grace, sometimes indeed this does happen. But often, indeed more often than not, the opposite is true. And it is the Christian who is spiritually disadvantaged and spiritually struggles because their husband or their wife does not share their faith. The Westminster Divines give various examples of those who we should not marry. We are those who profess the true Reformed religion, and therefore we should not seek marriage with infidels. That means pagans or those from the Muslim faith. We should not seek marriage with papists. That means those of the Roman Catholic faith. Nor should we seek marriage with other idolaters. Anyone else who claims anything other than the true faith should not be on our list of people who we could and should marry. Indeed, we should not be unequally yoked either, say the divines, with any who are notoriously wicked in their life or who maintain damnable heresies. So if someone is well known to be a raving alcoholic and constantly in and out of trouble in the town, such an individual should not catch your eye as a potential husband or wife. Or if you meet someone who maintains a damnable heresy, someone who denies, for example, that Christ is the Son of God, or someone who says you do not need to be born again, nor is this person worth your attention when it comes to marriage. I spoke to a friend just the other day when I was telling him about recording this episode of the podcast and how the Westminster Confession of Faith is dramatically out of line with what the world teaches and holds to be true about marriage. And indeed the Westminster Confession of Faith is dramatically out of line with many in the Christian church. But brothers and sisters, today I want you to remember that marriage is a gift of God. And as Paul would say in Ephesians 5, marriage shows us a mystery. It shows us the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. And so if the apostle is speaking the truth, as he surely is, then as Christians we must, we must take marriage absolutely seriously. Our relationships are to be between one man and one woman, for the mutual help of husband and wife, for the raising of children and for the prevention of sin. And marriage is for the good of humanity and to be honoured by all. But for the Christian, it is their duty before the Lord to marry only in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord work and reform our attitudes to marriage. May he strengthen our marriages. May he put us in the way of a godly Christian man to marry or a godly Christian woman to fall in love with. But today we thank God for marriage. And again we say, let marriage be held in honour among all.
As always today, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. In Genesis 2 and in Matthew chapter 19, the scriptures speak of marriage as a man leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife and becoming one flesh. Why therefore do we say that polygamy is prohibited? Question 2. In paragraph 2, the Westminster Divines give three reasons for marriage. What are they? And explain what you understand by each of them. Question 3. As paragraph 3 begins, we are told that all sorts of people should marry, but only those who with good judgment are able to give their consent. What do we mean by this? Question 4. It is the duty of Christians to marry only in the Lord. Support this biblically. And question 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul speaks highly about marriage and says that it is a mystery which points to an even greater relationship. What is that relationship? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess.